0: Well, I'm wondering this morning if you have ever participated in or overheard one of those child-parent conversations filled with the ongoing question, why? I'm talking about when a child asks a question and when the parent answers it, it is immediately followed by a series of more why's. Let me give you an example. Dad, why are we going to grandma's house? Because it's her birthday, honey, why? Well, she was born on this day 78 years ago. Why? Because that's the day God chose for her to be born. Why? Because God is so much smarter than we are. Why? And then finally the parents had enough. They said, because that's why, don't ask me any more questions. I don't know if you've been counting, but this is our sixth sermon in our series from the book of Acts. And it's a series that honestly is probably going to carry us all the way through the month of September. And right about now, some of you are having your own whys. Why are we doing this? Why are we spending so much time in this one book? What about the other 65 books of the Bible, Pastor David? Well, if you're wondering that, I don't want you to feel bad because the longer it takes us to do something, the more often we need to stop and remind ourselves of why we're doing it. So let me answer that particular why in case it's going through your head. It's because God has put on my heart the vital importance of furthering his kingdom here in Red Bluff, California. That's why. And based upon that conviction and based upon that desire, I believe that the book of Acts is a very appropriate book for us to study because it is the best place to learn how to further the kingdom of God. And the best way to do that is to look at the way the very first church did it. Because the scriptures say that God added to their numbers daily. And that happened for two reasons. First of all, it was a mighty move of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, those within the church all played a part in it. So for us to truly understand our local church, and if we are to really appreciate what what it's supposed to be like, and if we're going to have our passions stirred, about the potential of this church body, the fact is we need to study the original version. And that's what we're doing. We're taking a look at the very first church, the original church in Jerusalem, established by the very first Christians. And it's all been recorded in the book of Acts, the fifth book in the New Testament. And as we've been going through this book, we're continually being reminded of foundational biblical principles, and they all help us to become the kind of church that we need to be. And in this next portion of Acts that we're going to read, we come across two of those principles, two fundamentals, excuse me, that we need to understand here at High Point if we are going to succeed in doing the things that God has called us to do. So this morning, we're gonna pick up where we left off last week in Acts chapter seven. You can go ahead and work your way there, but I I want us to back up a few verses and begin with the stoning of Stephen, who, if you remember from last week, was the first Christian martyr. Today, we're gonna start at Acts seven, verse 57, where the Sanhedrin have completely become unhinged in their anger against Stephen, all the way through Acts chapter eight and verse 25. So take your Bibles, open them to Acts chapter seven, keep your Bible open throughout this message because we're gonna be going back to it. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew pocket in front of you or of course all the scriptures will be up on the screens behind me. Acts chapter seven, verses 57 through 60. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. Talking about Stephen. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. Acts 8.1. And Paul and Saul approved the killing of, excuse me, And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was somewhat someone great and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by great signs and the miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that whoever I lay hands, my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart, for I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After that, they, after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Now, as I mentioned earlier, there are two fundamental principles that we find uh, drawn from this text that we've read this morning. And the first one is this, and it was even in uh, one of the interpretations this morning after the message in tongues. God can take the bad in life and use it for the good of his kingdom. Point number one was mentioned before I ever mentioned it here via the Holy Spirit. Don't say that God doesn't move in our church because he does. If you remember, Joseph in the Old Testament, he learned this lesson the hard way. It was when he met his brothers many years after they had sold him into slavery, he said in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And as we look over history, we see this principle lived out over and over again. God takes the bad that inevitably comes into our lives because we live in a bad, fallen world, but in his sovereignty, he uses it both for our good and for his glory, and the Bible is replete with examples of this truth. Let me offer you a more modern-day example, even though it's 20-some years old. I don't know if you are aware of this, but when The Passion of the Christ, the Mel Gibson's film about Jesus came out many years ago, Muslims were very interested in this movie. Uh, and the result was that many of the Muslims were asking questions about Christianity. But what drove them to this movie was the fact that they heard it was an anti-Semitic film. And they like anything that is against the Jews. So their motivation for going to this movie was anti-Semitism. But through this movie, they started asking questions about Jesus and many came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We see another perfect example of this in this morning's text. Think about it. Stephen was martyred. The first deacon of the church is the first Christian to die because of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I pointed out last week, Stephen was an awesome individual. He was one of those people that that others were drawn to. Everybody loved Stephen. He was greatly admired. He was a gifted minister of of the gospel, but his life was abruptly and brutally snuffed out. When a horrible thing happened. And it wasn't If that wasn't bad enough, it was only the beginning. It was only the first bad thing because Stephen's murder became a catalyst for a widespread persecution of the church, a persecution that was led by a man named Saul. Remember in the scripture said they laid their cloaks next to Saul, that's who they're talking about here. And, And this is what is said in Acts chapter eight, verse three. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. At this point in his life, Saul was acting like the Gestapo in World War II, dragging Jews from their homes and sending them off to concentration camps. In fact, the Greek used here pictures Saul as a wild beast on some sort of a rampage, tearing his victims to shreds, and that's pretty much what he did. And I say this because later on in Acts, he became a Christian and he changes his name to Paul. And he confesses in Acts 22.4, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. Now, you'll remember from our earlier study that there had been persecution before. There had been threats. There had been imprisonments. There had even been floggings and, and beatings. But up until this point, it had been directed only at the apostles. But now, With Saul at the helm of the ship, persecution is directed at the membership at large. And to make matters worse, for the first time, we find the leaders of Judaism united in their opposition against the way, against Christianity. Before it was just the Sadducees, but now the Pharisees, like Saul, are on board as well. So at first glance, this looks really, really bad. But our hindsight shows us that once again, God used this bad for incredible good. And in case you missed it, I want to point out several benefits, several good things that came from this time of persecution. And the first one is it caused Christianity to spread. When the Christians fled, the persecution that was going on in Jerusalem, they took the gospel with them, and in doing so, they, they spread Christianity outward. Saul's attempt to, to stamp out the church as fire merely scattered lot, lots of embers and started new fires all around the world. Amazingly enough, what, what began as persecution ended in proclamation. Think of it this way. The stones that were thrown at Stephen were like stones thrown into a pond that sent waves outward. Waves of the gospel were rippling outward. This kind of reminds me of the Dr. Seuss story, Cat in the Hat. Remember they spilled that pink stuff on the furniture and the more they tried to clean it up, the more it just spread all over the house. Well, and until eventually the whole yard was pink, if I recall the book. That's basically what happened here. The more Saul and the others tried to wipe out the stain, of Christianity, the more that stain spread throughout the world. In fact, the word here in verse one that we translate as scattered is the Greek word diaspiro. And it literally means to scatter seed. This is another good word picture of what happened. God used this persecution as the means to scatter the seeds of the gospel in Judea and Samaria and even beyond. And wherever that seed fell, the church grew. And here's something interesting that I touched on last week. Some biblical scholars don't think that the Christians in Jerusalem fled out of fear, but rather they, they felt that Stephen's stoning was a sign from God. It was a sign that it was time for them to hit the road with the gospel. Because in Matthew 10:23, Jesus had said, "'When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another.'" Perhaps the early Christians had learned this from the apostles. So when persecution came, they thought, that's our cue. Let's get going. Let's take it out beyond this city. And and all this reminds me that a, a very literal translation of the Great Commission could be worded like this, as you go, make disciples of all nations, because that's what happened as they went And wherever they went, they shared the gospel. And in this first part of Acts chapter eight, Luke gives us an an example of this as you go kind of evangelism. And he does so in the form of the ministry of another deacon named Philip, a Christian seed scatterer, if you will, that ended up in Samaria where he proclaimed the gospel and where he was involved in powerful miracles in Jesus' name. And the fact that as a Jew, the fact that a Jew was successfully preaching and teaching and ministering in Samaria in and of itself is an amazing miracle. You see there was long deep-seated hatred between the Jews and between the Samaritans. You may remember that the Jews viewed Samaritans as both religious and ethnic half-breeds because when the Assyrians conquered Israel, 800 years before the birth of Jesus, they deported a great part of the Jewish population from their land and they replaced them with strangers from all other countries. So the Jews who remained, they they intermarried with these foreigners and the product was what they've called the Samaritan race. The Jews who returned from deportation years later considered Samaritans impure and collaborators with the enemy. And the Samaritans compounded their problems by building their own temple on Mount Gerizim, which was something that was prohibited in the Old Testament. And they got around that infraction of God's word by rejecting the part, that part of the Old Testament where this particular law was mentioned. They literally accepted only the first five books of, as scripture. Well, for all of those reasons, there was a great wall of hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans. It was a wall that had been growing ever higher for hundreds of years. But now, when Philip is sharing the gospel, Samaritans are now responding and they are becoming believers in Christ. They are becoming Christians. And a revival literally broke out in that region And that's how God built the bridge between these two groups and made them one in Christ Jesus. So an incredibly good thing happened, a horrible wrong was righted all because of this persecution. But that's not all, here's a second good thing that came out of all of this bad. It turned Saul, a persecutor of the church, into Paul, the greatest missionary or evangelist that the world has ever known. In Acts twenty twenty two, tells us that Paul never forgot Stephen's death. It apparently had a profound effect on his life. And Paul's first exposure to the gospel came through Stephen. And I, for one, think that Saul's memory of Stephen's teaching and the way that he lived his short life, as well as the way he died with such great dignity and strength and without fear I believe that was all a catalyst for Saul. It's what led Saul to decide to become a believer himself after he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And I believe that this helped to to fire his passion for evangelism. So by killing Stephen, the Sanhedrin silenced a voice that was upsetting a city, but at the same time, without even realizing it, they awoke a voice that would upset an entire empire. And then the third thing that came out of all of this bad is it caused the early Christians to mature spiritually. You see when they left Jerusalem they were forced to depend on God. They no longer had the disciple the apostles to go to. Perhaps this is why God kept Peter and John and others In Jerusalem, so that they could cut their own teeth, so that they could get out there without having someone to run to when things got difficult, and instead they would run to the Lord. It's kind of like a mother bird, a mother bird urging her 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 children to leave the nest so that they can learn to fly on their own. And that's what happened. Out on their own and away from Jerusalem, these new believers began to fly spiritually. They develop their spiritual gifts of evangelism and and, and witnessing and teaching and prophecies and miracles, all those gifts that the Holy Spirit made available to them. And I believe believe that God allows us folks to go through difficult times to help us to develop the fruit of the Spirit in our own lives. Let me offer you some examples. He teaches us about love by putting unloving people in our path. You run into them every day, right? You you could stand on your head, spin plates, tell them jokes and polish their shoes, and they're not gonna be nice. They're just not happy people. But God puts those those kind of people into our path to teach us how to deal with them. Because if you don't deal with them, you'll never deal with them. You've got to learn how to deal with unloving people. Not everybody in the world loves, but we are called to love, and he'll put unloving people in your path so you can learn that lesson. He teaches us joy when we're going through times of sorrow. He develops peace within us, not by making things go as we had planned, but by allowing times of chaos and confusion when things aren't going as planned. You see, the truth is no tool is better at shaping us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ than persecution in one form or another. So these three examples serve as abundant truth that that God was able to use bad for good. And we would all do ourselves well to remember this as we serve God here in Tehama County in a state with the craziest and most radical leadership in all of America. That when tough times come our way, when laws are passed that are completely insane, and they will, and they will continue to keep coming down the pike, we must remember that God is sovereign even in our tough times, even when we don't understand what's going on. He rules over our sufferings, and he'll use them for our benefit. In his book, Reaching for the Invisible God, Philip Yancey writes this, when good things happen, I accept them as gifts from God, worthy of thanksgiving, When bad things happen, I do not take them as necessarily sent by God. Rather, I trust that God can use even those bad things for my benefit. Faith allows me to believe that despite the chaos of the present moment, God does reign regardless of how worthless I may feel. I truly matter to a God of love that no pain lasts forever and no evil triumphs in the end. After all, faith sees even the darkest deed of all history, the death of God's Son as a necessary prelude to the brightest. So when you go through trials, when you go through tribulations, follow Yancey's example here. Trust God's heart. Trust God's wisdom. Trust His sovereignty. Trust God's power in your life. And then you ask yourself, is my heavenly Father allowing this to motivate me to become more mature spiritually? Is God allowing this this temporary persecution to teach me an eternal truth? Is he showing me that maybe I need to rely on him more, no matter what comes my way? Is he using this to give me a platform in which I can share my faith in a place that maybe I've never had the courage to share it before? Always remember the words of the Apostle Paul, formerly Saul, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal So as we look back on this early chapter of church history, it shows us that that good comes from bad. But a backward glance also shows us something else. In the kingdom of God, bad often comes with good. Let me explain myself. When God is doing a good thing, when God is at work, Satan will attempt to oppose that work by sending bad your way. You can count on it. It's like clockwork. It's just gonna happen. Whenever something good is happening, he will do whatever he can do in his limited power to stop it from happening. Jesus taught this principle in his parable of the weeds in Matthew 13, 24 and 25. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Our Lord is warning us here that whenever God sows his true believers, Satan will in turn sow his counterfeits. Think of it this way. The Bible says that the enemy first comes in like a lion to devour, but if that approach fails, he comes in like a serpent to deceive. And man, is he ever good at that false prophets, false people who try to tell you a truth that does not align with the word of God. I want you to note that in the other half of this chapter, which we are going to look at next week, Luke cites an example of an individual with genuine faith. And he does so in Philip's experience with the Ethiopian eunuch. And again, we will talk about this next Sunday. But first he contrasts it here with an example of false faith, a counterfeit faith, in verses 9 through 24. And the false faith that I am referring to here is what you might call Satan's deceptive weed among the wheat in a sorcerer by the name of Simon. Tradition says that he called himself Simon Magus, and Magus is the Latin word for great. It would be like someone in our day calling himself Simon the Magnificent or or Simon the Great. This man was, this is probably a bad example, but kind of like the David Copperfield of of our day, of his day, doing illusions and and magic and, and things like that. And he had been a big show going on in Samaria. That is until Philip came along. Well, when Philip showed up and he started performing miracles, He began to to draw a crowd. And when I say he performed miracles, God performed miracles through him. Let us never forget that. But he began to draw a crowd. So Simon Magus went to investigate and he was literally amazed at what he saw. In Philip, he saw a genuine power that he coveted for himself. You see, the feats that Simon had been performing were limited. They were a combination of sleight of hand tricks and demon powered miracles that did not last. In short, Simon had exhausted the limits of his ability and he knew this especially when Philip came to town because Philip began to do genuine, lasting miracles powered by the Holy Spirit of God. So Simon immediately had a professional interest if you will, in Philip And I'm sure he thought to himself, if I'm going to advance in my profession or even just recapture what I've lost before this guy showed up, I'd better get my hands on this power that he possesses. So apparently in an effort to claim this power for himself, verse 13 says, Simon himself believed and was baptized and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Simon began to follow Philip around like some sort of a sorcerer's apprentice. Well, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard about the revival that had broken out in Samaria, they sent John and another Simon, Simon Peter, to investigate and just kind of check things out. And when these two prayed for those new believers, laid their hands on those new believers, they received the Holy Spirit. And and that display of power impressed Simon Magus even more. Now, let me just say something. I do not believe that Simon's faith was genuine at all. And I say that for two reasons. First, in verse 20 through 23, Simon Peter talked to him and discerned that his heart was not right when he said these words. May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and a captive to sin. But my second reason for making this judgment comes from church history, where it shows that Simon Magus went on to be a prominent heretic, the founder of A belief called Gnosticism, a heresy that greatly plagued the early Christian church, which by the way, has reared its ugly head throughout history. Most recently, and again, it wasn't all that recent ago, I can remember when Dan Brown's popular novel, The Da Vinci Code came out. Maybe some of you saw that movie. The plot of that movie is based upon Gnostic philosophy, and it's and it it, spur, it kind of brought forth a new interest in false gospel and the Gnostic way of thinking. But and so so the question becomes: Where did, did Simon go wrong? How could he come so close and still miss out on genuine salvation? I mean, think of it: He sat under the teachings of Philip and Simon Peter. How did he end up? being a tool of Satan, instead of a great man of God. Well, I think he made three errors. And I think it's important that we understand the errors that he made. And I think this is not just for us to be able to recognize false faith when we see it, because after all, Satan still sows weeds in in God's wheat field, but also so that we would avoid these same errors ourselves. And the first mistake was this. Simon embraced a false view of himself. The most important person in Simon's life was Simon. Verse nine says he boasted that he was someone great. To put it into modern terms, Simon thought he was all that and then some. And the fact is, Simon went beyond mere conceit. Look back at verse 10, where it says that Simon was rightly called the great power of God. The notes in my study Bible, say that that phrase means that Simon claimed to be either God himself or more likely his chief representative. Early church fathers like Arrhenius say that Simon Magus claimed to be the early earthly manifestation of the Greek God Zeus or Yahweh, who we sang about this morning, the Old Testament name for God. In any case, it would be an underestimate excuse me, an understatement for me to say that Simon was a little bit stuck on himself, but he went way beyond that in, in that he mimicked the sin of his master, Satan, by putting himself on an equal level or an equal plane with God Almighty. And as you should know, a proper view of self is just the opposite of that I mean, before we can come into a genuine faith with the Lord Jesus Christ, we must humble ourselves by admitting that we are sinners, by admitting that we are hopelessly lost without God's grace. We must understand that even our best attempts at goodness, our best attempts at greatness fall far short of God's holy standard. But but, but that's not the only mistake he made. Simon also embraced a false or flawed view of salvation. Simon seems to have thought that being baptized and hanging around with Philip was all it took to be a follower of God. He made the same mistake that many people make today. I'm talking about those who erroneously assume that salvation is the result of some kind of religious activity. And that's an easy mistake for us to make. Why? Because we just naturally think our human psyche is such that we think in order to receive something as wonderful as eternal life that Jesus offers, in order to receive something as powerful as the Holy Spirit of the living God living inside of us, we think we have to do something in return, something to earn all of this. A youth pastor once asked his kids to write out their testimony. Tell them how they became a Christian. And nine out of 10 times, their testimonies all started with something similar, but basically the words, I walk the aisle, were in there. Well, the pastor wanted to understand what most of them meant when they mentioned that in their testimony. Well, this is what they said. They said the hardest thing that they could imagine doing was walking down the aisle in a church in front of hundreds of people. But by doing that hard thing, they deserve salvation. That's not the way salvation works. No salvation is ever the result of an external act like us being baptized or taking communion or attending church or walking the aisle and coming down to this altar. Salvation is the result of an an inner act of true repentance, asking Jesus to forgive us of our sin and committing to follow his will in our daily life. Salvation is the result of faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross and not in what we do. So Simon had a flawed view of himself and he had a flawed view of salvation. But his greatest error is seen in the fact that Simon also had a false or a flawed view of God himself. Remember, Simon wanted to buy the spirit of God as if he... The Holy Spirit was an it or some kind of a commodity that a person could purchase or or manipulate. In fact, Simon's offer led to a whole new form of sin that was named after him in that day called simony, which is basically defined as buying or selling God's blessings. Look at verse 20. And note Peter's strong rebuke of this assumption. May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. The J.B. Phillips translation words it even more forcefully in that, he has it saying you and your money can go to hell. And I believe that that is a more accurate translation of Peter's words because that's exactly where this line of thinking will send you. You see, there is no greater sin than the presumption of thinking that you could buy and that you could use God as some kind of a genie in the bottle. We do not manipulate God, ladies and gentlemen. We bow at his feet, and we serve him, and we worship him. He uses us to further his kingdom here on this earth. We do not use him in any way, shape, or form. But let's not be too self-righteous this morning because I think we need to examine ourselves and our own presumptions about our holy and heavenly father. Have you ever tried to buy his power? Okay, maybe I shouldn't phrase it that way. Students, have you ever said, God, help me to pass this test and I'll come to church every Sunday for the rest of my life? Not just young students, adult students in college say that too. Or adults, have you ever prayed, God, take away this problem. I'll do whatever you want. How many times have we told God, get me out of this mess that I've created and I promise to serve you faithfully for the rest of my life. And when he got you out of the mess, you forgot your words and you've been unfaithful. Sad fact is all of us have been guilty of simony in one form or another. We all have tried to buy God's powerful blessings with our promised obedience but this has no place in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. Obedience to God, ladies and gentlemen, it's a lifestyle. Not just during selective moments when you're in trouble and your feet are to the fire or when we need something from him. And that leads me to say something that I must say this morning. If the only reason that you have humbled yourself before God to receive salvation is to keep you from going to hell, you have a skewed vision my friend of your faith. Of course, as a believer, we are promised eternal life in God's presence when we die. But you must understand this very important bit of truth. The Christian life is so much more than that promise. It is so much more than a get out of hell free card from the monopoly game. It is the ultimate promise that the and one It is that the ultimate promise and one that we do not wanna miss is that Jesus Christ is Lord and he has something for us to accomplish while we live on this earth. There is an abundant life for you and I to to be had while we are walking or trotting on this globe. While you're waiting for Jesus to return and while while waiting for the day when he comes to take you home, there is work to do. And in that work, there are blessings for you to to obtain. And and, and what we've been studying here in Acts, it really highlights this. There is an expectation of you and I, let let me put this as simply as I know how to, our relationship with Jesus Christ should motivate us while we are waiting for eternity to want to represent Him well in this world and to share what we have with others who don't have it. Do you understand much of the abundant life that the scriptures talk about comes as a result of your obedience to God's word, not because you walked an aisle? Obedience is defined as doing God's will and following his commands. This is when we experience an abundance unlike anything else. The early New Testament church understood this and as a result, people were being added to their, king, to, to their group daily and new souls were being won to the kingdom daily through the people in that church. And by being a part of all of that, the people who made up that church, they grew spiritually. But not only that, through their obedience to the written word of God, they were greatly Blessed. Did they face persecution? You better believe they did. But the Holy Spirit allowed them to endure and yet grow at the very same time. There was blessing and there were trials, but you gotta understand that God was in both of those things. And let me just say something. There is nothing that can happen to you. There is no <clears throat> blowback that comes from sharing your faith or taking a stand for righteousness that God's abundant blessings cannot completely overcome. And we have to, as Americans, we have to quit thinking of abundance somehow always translating into money. Because that's what the American church thinks. When you say blessing, it's, give me the money. God's abundance is so much more than money. He blesses you financially, yes, he does. But there's so many more blessings that come that have nothing to do with your pocketbook. It is so much more than that. It is a deep-seated peace inside your very being, no matter what's going on. It's an unshakable faith that you possess even when the world seems to be falling apart at the seams like it appears to be doing before our very eyes. It's also a power from God that allows you to continue to do great things for God's glory under any circumstance. And never forget this high point, whenever you live a life designed to glorify God, his blessings will flow to you in ways that make it eminently clear that they only could have come from God and no one else. (laughs) Scott, will you guys come forward? Help me close this down. You're getting a workout this morning, aren't you? All week long, I thought about how I would end this service. And I didn't know how. And now I know why. Because God had something else in mind. And it didn't happen at the end of the service. But it happened at the beginning of the service. And I don't know if you're still flying flying high on the Holy Spirit who greatly visited us this morning, if that didn't affect you at all, or if maybe you're finally coming down in some of the emotion, which it's always very emotional when the Holy Spirit moves, and, and, and maybe you've, you, you've, you've settled down just a little bit, and maybe you were able to listen to this message today and the elements of it, but you're not sure, other than what happened earlier, why you came today. I would urge you to ask the Lord, and you don't have to do that now, you can do that today, you can do that tonight, you can do that this week. Why did you bring me to that service this morning, Lord? You know, some of you, this may have been your first time here. You didn't even know what was going on. You're thinking, boy, those people like music. (laughs) Those people like spending time at the altar. Those people speak in funny languages, which I don't understand. Well, it's all a move of the Holy Spirit, and it is absolutely nothing to be afraid of. It is something that we we seek, that we desire, that we want in our lives. But see, Lord didn't want you just to experience what happened at the beginning of this service. He wanted you to experience the truth in the Word that was just spoken to you. And perhaps some of you are going through a difficult time right now. you're you're struggling. You've got some real struggles going on in your life. And maybe you're having a hard time believing that God can bring good out of the bad that you're going through right now. Maybe as we've been talking about evangelism and we've been talking about sharing our faith, you fear persecution. You fear blowback. You know, blowback was a word that I came up with, and basically what it means is criticism. Let me tell you something, if you ever stand up for God and you receive blowback, wear it as a badge of honor. It shouldn't be something that destroys you or crushes your spirit. That's just the enemy attacking you. You should wear that as a badge of honor because you were strong enough, you were proud enough of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that you actually opened your mouth. And you stood up for righteousness in a moment where it needed to be done. And maybe you need to pray to the Lord this week that you would help me to overcome those fears. Some people literally fear just being rejected. Man, I'll tell you what, if I crumbled every time I was rejected in this lifetime, I wouldn't be here. And I'm not just talking about in the things of God, I'm talking about dating girls when I was young and being turned down to jobs, to everything else. I've been rejected a million times in my life, and I'm sure you have too. So why is the rejection of sharing our faith with somebody and maybe them not going the direction we want, why should that be more greatly feared than every other rejection you've had in your life? So I want to ask you to pray that God would help you to quit fearing what is probably not even going to happen. Because the truth is whenever I've shared my faith with somebody, I've never had somebody say, get out of my face, you Jesus freak. I want nothing to do with you. They may not make a decision at that time. They say, well, thank you, I appreciate your words. Can I pray with you? And then you say a short prayer and you move on your way. But we fear that the worst things are gonna happen when we evangelize people. And it just doesn't happen that way. You've watched too many films. You've watched too many films made by people in the world who don't even understand evangelism. Maybe you aren't in a relationship with Jesus this morning and maybe you didn't even come down to the altar when I invited you earlier. Well, you can pray for salvation. The Bible says you must believe and confess. Believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God. Confess that, ask him to forgive you of your sins, be the Lord of your life, he will forgive you. And when you confess your sins, you have to repent. You don't just say, "Forgive me of my sins." You need to be broken over your sin. You need to know that it is a, that that God hates sin. It's the worst thing you can do, and it's meaningful to Him, and so therefore it should be meaningful to you. Or maybe you can relate with Simon Magus, and you want the easy way out. You don't want to read the scriptures. You don't want to spend any time in prayer, but you want that power. You want the ability to go out and move mountains. You want to pray for people and see them healed. You want to to evangelize to people and see them saved, but you're not willing to be any part of, of growing, maturing spiritually. Maybe you need to pray this week that God would help you to truly serve him in spirit and in truth and in every aspect of your life. I'm not going to have an altar call. We did that once, but I do want you to stand to your feet and I want to pray a closing prayer over you. And I'm going to leave it at that. And I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit who is so prevalent in this service today to speak to you throughout this week. The book of Acts is about the early church and what it is supposed to do. And you may already be tired of what we're supposed to do. You may say, "Come on, let's change gears, Pastor. Let's talk about blessing. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about that." We're going to stay in the Book of Acts, and just so fasten your seatbelts. We're gonna we're gonna go through it, and we're gonna go through the month of September because we are going to be a better church from it, and we are going to be better people of God from it. And where that comes in is you have a decision to make: Are you going to endure these messages? And say, oh, wasn't that nice, Pastor, you you did a great job today and go home unchanged. Or will you take what you've been hearing week after week and will you let it build up inside of you and culminate into finally you saying, God, I am tired of not being used by you. I am tired of sitting on the sideline. I'm tired of sitting on the bench and it's time for me to open my mouth and share what you've done for me with somebody. This town desperately needs Jesus. The people you work with, desperately need Jesus. The members of your family desperately need Jesus. The people whose accounts you call on and sell product desperately need Jesus. The guys in the assembly line next to you desperately need Jesus. Now, if you're a farmer, maybe the calves need Jesus. I'm not sure, but the world needs Christ, and they will never know if we don't open our mouths. So the prayer tonight or today is gonna to be very much like it was the last couple of weeks. So bow your heads with me. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. I love this church and I love these people in it, Lord God. You know that with all my heart. What an incredible group to be pastor with. You have blessed me and my family so greatly by coming here to Red Bluff. And I thank you for that. God, I see such great potential in this body. Oh. We have the ability in our trust in you to literally change the landscape of this community. Father, I pray you would impress that upon our minds. We always think in and of myself, I can't change anything. Well, yes, we can. Because if we all want a soul to the kingdom of God, we would double. And if that continued, we would have growth like no one could imagine. And it wouldn't take but months or years for this entire city to know who you are. So God, I just pray that we won't get so caught up in our lives and our burdens and our struggles and our our hobbies and the things we love to do to where we forget about you. God, please don't let us take the attitude, I'm saved, praise Jesus. I've got my get out of hell free card and I'm not so much concerned about where other people are going. Father, let that be something in our heart that we just can't let go of. That when we see people, we care enough about their eternal soul to at least open our mouth and at a very minimum, invite them to church with us and at a maximum, lay out the, the plan of salvation. Either way, God, I pray that you'll use us name of Jesus I pray you'll take away fear take away misunderstanding take away maybe even bad experiences that have scarred individuals and let them start fresh and say as of today God I'm gonna be an evangelist for you I'm gonna be like the Apostle Paul in Red Bluff California so father I pray you'll use us And Lord as we go our separate ways let us go in the power of your spirit you would guide and direct the things that we do places that we go and the conversations that we have and those conversations would be designed to build people up and not tear them down father we would shine like bright lights in a very dark world we would shine so brightly that people would come to us and say what is it about you and you open the door for us to share your goodness with them father I pray as I always do for a divine appointment this week Since we've talked about evangelizing, God, I pray you'll bring someone into every one of our paths this week. Give us an opportunity to practice what we've learned from this early church and to share who you are and what you can do and what you've done in our lives. And I ask these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you for being here. And I exalt thee I